Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. At the end of the episode, we will play another chunk of the Wild West. We have an hour to go. I'm going to try to break it up into two 30-minute episodes. So this episode, and then we will finish up next episode, because after that... I want to go into this awesome Try Not to Die at Ghostland. So thank you to everyone that already purchased a paperback copy. Those came out on Monday. I think it looks amazing. Everyone loves the cover. And I love the book. So I think Duncan Rouston did an amazing job with this. I helped him a little bit. But this is his story, his universe. He wrote all that. I helped edit it. I helped them with death scenes. We put this together, and I think it's amazing. Early readers are saying they're having a blast with it, really enjoying going back, reading all the death, loving the story, seeing all the connections, seeing all the different characters from his book. So if you haven't done so already, I highly recommend you pick up Ghostland. You don't have to pick up the super giant, huge omnibus edition, but you can pick up books one, two, and three. He also has other free stuff that you can get on his website. So I think that's DuncanRalston.com. Go check it out. You will not be disappointed. And for sure with this book, when you're watching this, the Kindle copy will be out. So you can pick that up. And if you have already read it, it would be amazing if you left a review. Recommend it on Goodreads, BookBub, social media, wherever you can do that stuff. Tell your friends. I think this book is going to do very well. And it's all thanks to you guys. So I do appreciate all the support, all the encouragement. One of the really nice things with this is I'm seeing lots of Duncan's readers' comments on the series just in general. The idea of, you know, a choose-your-own-adventure type, you know, a book that reminds them of that, but for adults. These books are YA, but... I really wrote them for adults. So that's another fine line too, is trying to find that like, okay, is this suitable? Some of the books are going to be on maybe the older range. I think this one's not bad. Death Fest, there might be some more triggers and stuff in the future. I don't know. There's some books that are going to be a little bit harder Then there's going to be others that are, are softer. So a little something for everyone. That is why I put out the Try Not to Die sampler. That's where you can try out the first two chapters of each of the seven books in the Try Not to Die series, as well as one or two death scenes from each. So that is out now. I believe it is free on Amazon. I know it's free at all other retailers. I believe Amazon may have dropped the price to free. Hopefully. That's the goal. I want to get as many readers as possible so you can check it out, see what you like, see what you don't like, and just pick up the ones that you do. That's the nice thing with this series. None of them have to be read together, except it wouldn't be bad a bad idea to read Brightside before reading Try Not to Die on Brightside, or you can read it afterwards. Same thing with Ghostland. You do not need to read Ghostland before you read this. Either way you read it, you're going to have some really cool surprises. Some really, I don't know. It's just a, I've always enjoyed that sort of thing. So yeah, the order doesn't matter on how you read those. Just so I wouldn't be overwhelmed, I created a list of all the different things I'm working on. These are just some of them. These are not all of them. And I was able to list them about how far away they are, what year I think they would land. And then from there, I was able to say, okay, which of these is going to take the least amount of work to put into shape so I have another product out? Which of these am I interested in? Which of these am I excited about? Which of these 
can I say, you know what, there's a good chance that's just never going to get done just because of time and everything else. So we'll see. The goal is to finish them all, right? I want to finish them all, but there are quite a few books. So the next ones, the ones that while Death Best Confessions is being made, I'm having other people write those short stories. So far, I've hired two authors. The third one, I'm going to send him something this week. That'll be something small, something easy. All I'm going to have to do is edit that, collect the stories, and write my own. I'll write one story, and Glenn Heaton will write one story. So that'll be on 2024. Not a lot of work. Right now, back at Grandma's house is my number one thing. I am on vacation next week with my family. That is when I would like to finish all of the scenes. So I believe I have a total of 12 scenes. So that's doable in a week of vacation and like flight. And whenever I'm on an airplane, all I'm doing is writing. I love flight. So I'll finish back at grandma's house, put that out in a small paperback and also ebook. And after that, I'll be working on Super High and Dark Fairy Tale. So those two will be flipping and flopping whenever they come in. If anyone else's stories come in, in the meantime, I will jump on them. I'm always working on the trend that I said in Germany too. That one is a longer process. And but as soon as I can do my own writing, I think the first thing I will be doing in my own writing, the stuff that I'm doing by myself is our fucked up little family. So that one is, I think that should take about four months. But again, I probably won't put that out until 2024. I thought about possibly releasing the first three chapters of that, which are done, the first three short stories in the 27 or 30 short stories. But as I get to a little bit too early, I don't know when I'm going to write the others. So I will wait on that until next year. But now let's back it up because I just did what I do all the... I was thinking about this a lot on Monday when the paperback came out. So... I'd already kind of forgotten about it, even though I'm swearing to myself that I won't. And, that, you know, yeah, this is what's important right now is the release of this book and making sure everything's done and blah, blah, blah. But I caught myself Monday, like just thinking about I was doing this list or Sunday night and Monday, I was doing this list on what I could work on next. Like, OK, I want to work on something. I want to work on something. I want to work on something instead of sitting back and be like, oh, how about we just market this book? And how about we share about trying not to die at Ghostland? How about I make some videos or you know, or do something like that. But my brain, like, I just want to go to the next thing. I want to get out the next thing. Otherwise, I feel like I'm not working. But I did do a video or two about trying to die at Ghostland. And the nice thing, and I respond to a lot of social media things that I saw through Duncan, which is awesome. So he's great at that stuff. I'm terrible. But at least now I can just chime in. I'm like, oh, you know, thank people for their comments. Get excited about it. So that's awesome being able to see that. I don't spend any other time on social media. I, I don't want it. I, I just don't care for it that much. But having those kinds of interactions are cool. And meeting all these new people that are interested in trying not to die. So I love having those interactions. That's really cool. But it's also incredibly awesome that Duncan initiates it. So I'm trying to appreciate the book a little bit more, spend more time with it. Like I said, I love this book. I think it's awesome. I can't see people not liking it. So we shall see what happens. 
I'm guessing it will be a number one new release in several categories. Already for the new release, it was number one in teen and young adult action adventure, interactive stories, then I think teen and young adult ghost stories, and teen, and another one. So these are great categories. I, I spent some time looking those up, seeing which ones there aren't a huge amount of competition in. And so I think all of the books are going to do incredibly well because people that are picking up trying to diet Ghostland, discovering the series, or wanting to go back and read the other books in the series. So that is awesome to see. There's no lack of confidence in trying to do that Ghostland, but then I'm like, shit, now they're going to go back and read the other ones. Oh, I hope they like them. I hope they like them. I hope, I hope I'm good enough. But so far it hasn't been an issue. There have been great reviews all the way around. I think people really enjoy these books. So that is why we are going to keep producing them. The awesome thing is just how many there are. When I make a list like this, I often forget other ones that are being created in the background. So well, back at Grandma's House, book eight, probably Super High or Dark Fairy Tale, nine and 10. Then we'll go in Roswell at the Meadow Spires Mall in Canada or whatever we're going to call that one. Those are all probably going to be out next year. They'll all be created. So in the Germany one, plus all the other ones that are being churned out too. So some of them are being worked on slowly. Some are probably pretty close to being done, but then I'm going to have to take a while to put my spin on them. So we shall see. There's a lot out there. The goal is to have at least 20 books. But yeah, so this is this is awesome. This is a cool place to be. I'm very excited to see how this book turns out. And I really appreciate everyone's help. So again, please tell your friends about the series. Tell your friends about this book. I think it's incredible. 29 different ways to die, only one correct way through. I think you guys are going to dig it. So if you haven't done so yet, pick up Try Not to Die at Ghostland. Tell your friends, leave a review, help us out. It would be greatly appreciated. All right, guys, I'm going to leave you with the next chunk of Try Not to Die, The Wild West. We'll finish it up next week. I swear it will be the finale of Try Not to Die in the Wild West. Hope you guys are enjoying that story. I will talk to you next week. Peace. Jolene's scared. Needs me to make the decision. We need to get out of here, I tell her. You grab the horses and I'll keep an eye on the gang. We should stay together, she says as she enters the stall two down from mountain fires. There's more hooting and hollering, another gunshot. I shake my head and take off toward the chaos. Remember to leave a note! Jolene says something, but all I can make out is the commotion coming from around the corner and across the street. I crouch down at the back of the laundry, peek around the side. The jumpers are hitting the bank, just like we thought. Their horses tied right out front. A couple townsfolk are hiding behind barrels and wagons, watching the events unfold. A man lies face down in the bank's doorway, blood pulling by his side. First guess is Mr. Garcia, the bank manager. But I spot him sticking out in his brown pinstripe suit crouched down behind the closest wagon with some ladies. Loud shouts from inside and another gunshot. Three jumpers exit the bank, each leaving boot prints on the dead man. Scorpion holds up a rather pathetic sack, his fingers stained from tobacco. You mean that's all they got, he says, pouring out a few coins and bills into his hand. There's barely enough in here for a round at the Sidewinder. Cooter, the cactus man, rubs at his eye patch, then shakes his bag, which looks a bit fuller. 
Jumpin' John ain't having it, though, his face an ugly scowl as he hurries toward the wagons. Mr. Garcia tries to run, makes it two steps when John grabs him by the collar and hauls him to the walkway. Hold on there, Mr. Baker. Where's all the damn money hiding? It's all we got, Mr. Garcia says. This town's broke and empty. I'm sorry. Why, you? Jumpin' John throws Mr. Garcia to the ground and kicks him. You're lucky I have believe you. Moose, the biggest of the bunch, has his six-shooter in hand, polishing it so slowly with the bottom of his shirt as he terrorizes the ladies. Y'all so purty. Don't want those tears messing up that fancy makeup. Jumpin' John looks at his men and shakes his head. To the station! We're getting money out of this hellhole one way or another. I spin round and run back to the stables where Jolene's saddle in Santa Fuente. They're about to hit the train. We gotta warn them. How? John said the station. They're just gonna wait for the train to stop, I say as I approach Mountain Fire's stall and hold out my hand to calm her. We can just warn them to keep going, to not fall for the trap. I don't see how it'll work. I slide back the latch that opens the stable gate. The ironwork is clean and well rendered, and for a moment I feel a sense of pride because Pa probably made every piece in here. I grab the Andalusian saddle hanging on the back wall by its horn and skirt, lifting it up. Midnight fire neighs and dances like she realizes she gets to run. That's right, girl, I say, trying to keep us both calm as I put the saddle on her back. We're going to get to know each other a little bit. Jolene's already up on Santa Fuente. Saddle him from the left. Mount him from the left if you don't know the horse. Most can do either side, but some don't. Got it. I pull the girth strap across the horse's underbelly and get the saddle nice and snug. I wish I could just hop right on her, but I'd go flying off. I bring over a small step stool and grab hold of the saddle's horn. I'm still not full grown, I whisper to Mountain Fire, pulling myself up. Just needed a little help is all. Jolene says, We better get. I take Mountain Fire's reins and walk her out of the stable, my heart thumping. You leave a note? No time, Jolene says, keeping an eye in the direction of the bank. I'll explain later. I'm trusting you, I say. She glances back. You're the one about to chase down a train. We. Oui. I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to handle Mountain Fire, but I'm out of choices. The train station is a solid mile to the east, and it doesn't sound like the jumpers have left town. Follow me. Mountain Fire's trot is smooth and easy riding, and not because of any skill of mine. It's been more than a year since I've been on a beast, but this feels right, like I can trust her. Still no one in sight. I quicken the pace to a canter. Jolene and Santa Fuente are beside me. Shall we? she asks. Let's. We're at full gallop in moments, rushing off into the desert, feeling a lie flying through the air. The wind, the strength, the speed. Pure bliss. We slow down after a few minutes, the train depot a couple hundred meters up ahead. I glance over my shoulder, spy the dust storm making a beeline for the train station. They're coming! What do we do? Jolene yells. We have 30 seconds on the jumpers, maybe a minute. Warning the ticket taker at the depot won't help a bit. The train! I veer to the left, aim for the black dot rolling toward the depot. 
Gotta warn the train. Jolene nods and clicks her heels, blows right by me. Mountain fire catches up to Santa Fuente and we race neck and neck. The depot passes by on our right as we angle toward the tracks, the locomotive coming closer. No! Jolene shouts, looking over her shoulder. Two of the jumpers are nearing the train depot, but the other three are after us. There's no turning back. I hold on tight and urge Mountain Fire on. The train's a hundred yards away and closing fast. I didn't even think of how to warn them or have any idea where the express man might be, if there's even one on board. We've got three jumpers closing in, the enormous black locomotive rumbling right for us. There's no time to try boarding. Our only chance left is alerting the engineer. Jolene and I are riding neck and neck. I grab hold of her shirt and rip off the sleeve, yell at her to turn with me. Cross the tracks! The train's starting to slow as it approaches the depot. We don't have much time. The jumper's close. I hear their horses pounding hooves. Jolene takes the lead, runs Santa Fe across the tracks as the train blasts its horn. Mountain Fire and I are a few paces behind Jolene, my left hand waving Jolene's sleeve, hoping someone understands it's a white flag. We get across the tracks just in time and let the train catch up. The engineer sticks his head out of the window, a man in a blue vest holding a rifle standing beside him. Jumpers! I point, hoping they realize I mean the other side of the train. Don't stop! Trap! The express man spins around, sticks his rifle out the window. The train's too loud to hear the gunshots, but there's no denying the muzzle flash or the jumper's bullet that shattered the cab's windshield. There's no way to tell if the express man has hit anyone, but it's apparent they aren't about to stop, the speed picking up quickly. We push the horses, spot Moose galloping at the train, firing his pistol. One second Moose is riding, the next he's flying off his horse like he hit a clothesline, his horse running away without him. Mountain Fire and Santa Fuente can't keep up this pace, and we're already near the end of the train. Our horses can't run forever, but maybe we can keep up with the train and follow it to the next town, hoping the jumpers will give up. To the left is the edge of the quarry. It's not very far, and the fact that it's a huge hole in the ground, rimmed with large boulders and fencing, makes it seem like a great place to escape the gang. The Coyote Canyon Dam to the west is probably just as far, and another possible option. We're losing pace with the train. Only four cars until it passes us by, exposing us to the jumpers on the other side. Following the train is suicide, and I can't see the quarry being any better. I yell at Jolene. The dam! She nods and takes Santa Fuente west toward the open desert, mountain fire pulling up beside her. The train keeps going, the jumpers with it. I push mountain fire faster to keep up with Jolene, the desert speeding by. We've put quite a distance between us and the train tracks. Still no sign of the jumpers. The landscape is barren except for the patches of chaparral, grass and succulents in a rainbow of desert oranges and reds sprouting up here and there. There's a dry riverbed ahead, so we slow the horses. It's crazy to think water flowed strong enough to carve this out. We pick up the pace and trot away from the dry riverbed, hot sweat dripping down my face. I wipe my forehead with the back of my hand, careful not to push too hard. Like Paul always said, sweat's good, but don't rub it in or you'll break out. When it dries, the salt will take the heat off your skin. I'm not sure that's entirely how it works, but it makes me feel like maybe a bit of Pa is looking after us, protecting us. If Pa knew what we are up against, 
that we got the jumpers after us? I bet he'd say, Outrun or outsmart them. The only options you got. I give Mountain Fire a little nudge and she accelerates into a full gallop, the hot air blowing past. We're closing in on Coyote Canyon Dam, only a few hundred yards to go. My throat feels like a fire inside dry timber, my skin sticky and dry. My joints ache something fierce and my belly's hollow from hunger. I slow down Mountain Fire and check behind us. There's no sign of the jumpers. Hopefully they gave up on us and aren't sneaking around some other way. Jolene stops and stares ahead at the dam. My goodness! It is larger than anything I've ever seen. I've never been this close to the dam. Can't believe there's going to be water behind it one day either, Jolene says. Pa says it'll be like an ocean in the middle of the desert. I guide Mountain Fire forward so we're not sitting ducks out here. Not sure how they're going to move a river to do that. Smarter folks than me, that's for sure. The hills on either side of us slope up gradually. On the plateaus, trees and grass grow. It seems like it could quite possibly lead to another world. I say, hard to imagine the area flush with water and teeming with wildlife. Maybe a new town will spring up, complete with grassy areas, paved roads, and actual running water, she says. I just hope we live to see some of it. The dam is constructed of the smoothest concrete I've ever seen. Near the bottom, a couple large tents and several temporary structures appear at the start of a vast network of scaffolding and walkways. This is a great place to hide out, Jolene says. And it's a dam, so there's got to be plenty of water, somewhere. There's still no sign of the jumpers, but I don't like the idea of staying down here. I vote we go up top. Jolene agrees and we ride toward the foot of the dam. A lonesome critter calls out just as a gust of wind kicks up dust around us. I hope it's a good omen. The area is wide open, filled with more tents and small structures with walls that I reckon are garbage dumps or outhouses. To the left of all the buildings is a water trough. Jolene heads for it and says, They say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make her drink. I give a nervous laugh as we dismount, surprised at just how comfortable I've gotten on mountain fire. The horses drink their fill while I use the faucet to refill my canteen. Jolene's looking at the organized piles of building materials. Concrete bricks, metal bars, ladders. Where are all the workers? she asks. Does look like we're all alone again. I can't believe ain't no one in the entire vicinity is working, Jolene says. What are we missing? They must have got wind of the jumpers tearing up the town probably all split to protect their loved ones or property. Santa Fuente finishes her water and struts away. I take Mountain Fire's reins and walk her over toward the ramp going up the scaffolding. Come on, I say. Let's go looking. There were people here not too long ago, Jolene says, pointing out the abandoned cups and plates on the table next to the large, heavy-duty tent. The debris on everything looks fresh. Wonder if they're all just inside somewhere, I say. Maybe on the other side, all working away. But I don't hear sledgehammers or nothing. No voices. It's all so very quiet out here. I can hear my own heartbeat. So, we keep walking onward through the tents and toward the ladders where the dam touches the desert floor. Most of the ladders are small and only intended for people to scurry up and down. 
but not too far away there's a wide wooden ramp. That's got to be used for wheelbarrows to bring building materials up and onto the dam, I say. Yeah, they must be strong to handle the weight of the cement bricks. That means me and you and our girls are going to be able to go on up there. The closer we get to the vast network of scaffolding, the more enormous it feels. The ramps lead to large walkways, which lead to more ramps. There's a pit in my stomach as I realize just how huge it all is, but I find some comfort that, for the most part, there are rails and fencing to keep anyone from falling. We stop at the foot of the ramp. Jolene asks, You really think we should go on up there? I'm not too fond of heights, but I'm more worried about these two. It's not a natural state for a horse, she says, rubbing Santa Fuente behind the ear. Maybe we should find a way around the dam, and there's plenty of places down here where we can hide. I'm gazing at the top of the dam. The tallest man-made place I've been in is the second story of the Sidewinder. It's like Telegraph Hill, just way steeper. Bing! The horses rear at the sound of a bullet bouncing off the scaffolding in front of us. Jolene runs Santa Fuente to the back of the closest tent. Mountain Fire and I are right behind her. Don't see anyone, I say, peeking out from the side. Can't believe they snuck up on us. I can't see where the shot came from. Too many hiding spots, I say. So what do we do? Kabling! We got two choices. Stay together and outrun them down here, or I head up alone, lead them away. We've got to stick together. Bing! Not if it gets us both killed. Jolene won't ask me to risk my life for her, and I'd never want anyone to do the same for me. Our best chance is to split up, I tell her as I swing on the mountain fire. Give me to the count of ten before you take off around the bottom. You sure about this? I nod and give Mountain Fire a squeeze. Come on, girl. Mountain Fire starts for the ramp and hesitates, leaves us in the open. A bullet zips by overhead and she takes off, her hooves thundering up the ramp. Another gunshot and ricochet. My face is buried against Mountain Fire's neck, hand on my hat, stomach tight as the desert sand after a rain. We're up and onto the first level of scaffolding ten feet off the ground when I spot the first jumper. Ford's head is showing from the side of a tent, his gun aimed right at me. I bring Mountain Fire into a full gallop. Two more shots are fired, neither coming close as we race for the next ramp. The curve looks too tight, there's no fencing around it, and we're flying. Whoa! Easy! Mountain Fire ignores me, gallops at full speed, the entire scaffolding shaking like it might collapse. This thing's designed for wheelbarrows, not horse racing. Ford and two other jumpers are riding for the first ramp, gaining quick. We round the next curve, my heart feeling like it might burst out of my chest any second. Keep your eyes on the prize, I tell myself. Down below, the jumpers are shouting as Jolene gallops away. One of the jumpers turns and goes after her. The other two keep after me. My hands are so sweaty I nearly lose the reins. It's only through sheer will I hold on. Oh, Lord, save us, I say. The scaffolding shakes even more, sways side to side with three full-grown horses, their tack, and their riders barging through like bulls. The sun's peeking through the slats of the ramp above. 
Mountain Fire takes us around the curve to the top level, which is wide enough for two horses. Construction tools and lumber lie around on the unfinished scaffolding. Far below to the left are boulders and rocks, and a huge hole scooped out of the ground where the water will be held. Far away, the hills on either side make it look like the biggest bathtub ever. Ahead, near the end of the dam's walkway, I spy a wall of rock. Nowhere to go that way. The scaffolding's shaking. Everything's rocking. The jumpers are coming up fast. I guide Mountain Fire ahead several yards and turn her around. The ramp we came up on is in front of us. Past that, on the opposite side of the dam, is an entrance to a tunnel. It appears to be the only way out of our predicament. Ford rides his horse onto the top level. Smiles like I'm the funniest thing he's ever seen. Cooter rides up right behind him, blocking my way. What you doing up here, little boy? He says, laughing and also a little out of breath. Getting ready to fly, ain't you? Ford lets loose the long whistle. Long way down, little child. Long way. Their horses paw the ground, showing they're nervous. Mountain Fire is too, but she's not displaying it as outwardly as their horses. You ain't got nowhere to go, Ford hollers. What are you gonna do, little man? Cooter asks. Jump? They both laugh, ease forward on their horses. I reach down into my duster's long pocket and slip out a horseshoe. Raise it up like a sword, holding onto the curve, both of its feet pointing forward. Stand down, I say, putting on my strongest, most adult tone. Let me pass. The jumpers hoot and holler at that, but I don't let it rattle me. Well, now look at that, Ford says. Ain't the boy got spirit. I spy their hands sliding down. No, they're going for their shooters. I got one shot, and I can't blow it. Cooter the Cactus Man creeps forward on his horse, gun held in his lap. Can't be more than forty feet away. About the limit I can throw this thing, especially up here on Mountain Fire. Seeing how Cooter only has the one eye, he's probably a worse shot than Ford, who just moved right beside him, not leaving any room for me to race through. Ford says, Set it down, boy. I'll take you down to John. Let him talk to you. The only kind of talking John would be doing is with a weapon. I'm a dead man if I give up, a dead man if I don't. They draw a little closer, and I'm out of time. Hold on, girl, I say, gripping the reins and kicking the barrel beside me. The barrel tips over, the metal tools clanking and clattering so loudly both their horses buck. Ford takes the lead, so I throw the horseshoe right at him full force. Nothing held back. The iron flies like a runaway train, but misses him. Cooter, who just calmed his horse, doesn't see the horseshoe twirling right for his head. There's a loud thunk, and Cooter is thrown off his horse and tumbles over the side of the dam. Not even one scream on the way down. His skull likely shattered. I don't have another shoe, and even if I did, I don't have enough time. Come on, girl, I say, digging in my heels. Mountain fire doesn't have to be told twice, and she races right at Ford, who's peering over the edge. Ford's horse bucks as we fly right past them. What the? I stay low on mountain fire, waiting for a bullet to blow through my back. Three, two, one, 
and I'm inside the tunnel, inside the dark. Mountain fire keeps running through the darkness, my eyes slowly adjusting. I ease her to a walk, listen carefully. I can't hear Ford coming in pursuit, but must assume he is. We're okay, I whisper to Mountain Fire. But let's keep on moving. The tunnel reeks of mildew, everything wet. Mountain Fire takes us deeper into the decommissioned mine, minute after minute of silence and the occasional snort. A tiny, thumping sound gets louder. I stop Mountain Fire and shush her, realize it is hooves pounding the ground headed right for us. We're coming to get you, boy, hollers Ford, his words bouncing around in echoes. My heart races. Even though my eyes have adjusted to the darkness, it's still too dim to feel safe riding fast. I give Mountain Fire a squeeze and tell her, Go, girl, you're in charge. She takes off, galloping at full throttle, the air getting damper the deeper we go. Must be heading towards some sort of body of water. There's a fork in the tunnel. Mountain fire bearing left before I have time to question it. Space opens up, revealing a much longer, wider, and taller cave with stalactites hanging from the ceiling. There are archways carved into the cave system, but I just care about the one straight ahead with the thin shafts of light coming down from the roof. Mountain fire slows down long enough for both of us to take a breath. The faint sound of hooves behind us is overpowered by the rush of water. The sound of water intensifies the farther mountain fire takes us inside the caves. I don't like not being able to hear the gang and wonder if they made a ride at the fork. Maybe it's a shortcut and they'll ambush us. I rub mountain fire's neck and tell her, We can't let that happen, girl. We got to stay ahead of them. She neighs and trots forward, the wind a whispering ghost. Just the draft, I tell her. Ain't no real ghosts in here, and we ain't about to be the first. A few hundred feet down, we find an underground river. The water flows fast, and I ponder what to do. I hear Pa's voice telling me it's always safe to follow a river. It will lead you out somewhere. Problem is, the jumpers will know the same tactic. The other side of the river looks just like more of the same cave system that we're navigating through. It's probably safe for mountain fire to cross the river but the water seems to be picking up speed. What do you say, girl? Should we follow the river or cross it? Mountain Fire is nervous about the river and is probably as much of a swimmer as I am, having only been at the creek a few times as a kid. We're going to cross here, I say, stroking the side of her head. She heads for the river bank, but I stop her, trying to listen for the jumpers, but realizing I'm not going to hear a thing over the rushing water. I take a swig from my canteen and gather my nerves. Sorry, girl. We gotta go now. There's no question the river is rising, spilling over on this side. The opposite bank is a few feet higher, our only chance if this continues. It takes me three tries to get in the saddle. I pat her neck and say, We don't have a choice here. Mountain fire takes three, four, five steps into the river and the water's already brushing her stomach my boots skimming the water. That's it, girl. We can do this. It's just a little water. The Russian tide is stronger than I anticipated and pushes us downstream. It's hard to tell if the splashing is due to the waves or to the large debris falling into the water as the tunnel breaks apart. The entire cave is going to collapse, 
and we're in the middle of the river, Mountain Fire's body almost completely submerged, the water up to my waist. Let's hurry, I yell, hugging her neck. Come on. Mountain Fire tries to head back to where we entered, but that side of the tunnel is now flooded. I redirect her farther up the opposite bank where there's still a small strip of dry land. Let's go there, quick! I hold on to Mountain Fire's neck as best I can as she swims against the Russian River. Hold on! We can do this! I shout, my voice drowned out by the noise. Mountain Fire squeals as a huge wave surges and takes us under. I let go of her and pop to the surface, gasping for air in the darkness, unable to see Mountain Fire. The river tosses me around like a rag doll, pushing me under, my body at the river's mercy. I flail and kick, paddling to the surface, gasping for air. I'm swimming, my heart racing like a freight train. The cave opens up and I see high ground to my left. I swim using every last bit of energy, my feet finally touching the bottom. The current is so strong, and something large bangs into my side, but it quickly passes underneath. I'm sore as all get out, but my hands touch the bottom, and soon I'm on my knees. I crawl onto the muddy bank, soaked to my core, looking like a nearly drowned rat. I want to collapse and pass out, but the river's still rising, the tunnel collapsing around me. A few deep breaths give me energy to pick myself up. The best sight I've ever seen is right in front of me. Mountain fire standing on the dry bank. She sees me, jumps up and down a little. No rest for the wicked, girl, I say, walking over and taking hold of her drenched lead rope. At least for now, we still got a chance. A huge section of the tunnel crashes into the river, splashing water all over us. Holy hell! It won't be long until this bank is flooded, too. We've got to move! There's a small tunnel near the end of the bank, the only way out without jumping back into the river. That way! Come on! The ground is muddy, my boots squelching with each step. Another massive part of the cave crashes down and the water keeps rising. There's no light inside the tunnel. I don't know if it's a good idea to go inside. Mountain fire hurries in front of me, nearly knocking me over. Whoa, girl, what is it? I ask, listening carefully, wondering if she somehow can hear the jumpers over the raging water. I pull Mountain Fire's lead, stop her before she enters the dark tunnel. You sure about this? I'd feel better about going in the tunnel if I could mount her, but the tunnel's in no way high enough. I tell her, hope it leads out and not to nothing. Most of everything behind us is flooded. Our only choice is to go into the river or into the tunnel. I try not to imagine the river flooding into the tunnel, but I can't help picturing it getting smaller and smaller until we drown. Just have no idea what the right choice is. The river looks twice as intense as it had. Mountain fire pushes off and pulls me with her. She's just inside the tunnel, whinnying for me to follow. Pa would say to do just that. An animal's intuition and senses truly are better than a person's. Surely Mountain Fire wouldn't go down there unless she thought it was a probable way out.